Hi, we're Eliza, Allison, and Carlin, and we're the hosts of Resolved Mysteries Podcast. Our podcast follows the 80s and 90s television show Unsolved Mysteries, hosted by Robert Stack. If you like true crime stuff, ghost stuff, alien stuff, this is your podcast. We do in-depth research on all of the segments that Unsolved Mysteries aired and give you the latest updates on every case. Resolved Mysteries Podcast is available wherever you get your favorite pods. Join us and perhaps you may be able to help solve a mystery. This podcast contains some strong themes which are not for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. John agreed and jumped over the low fence towards the back of the garden. He was followed closely by Lorcan who was carrying a sack rolled up in one of his hands. Once both boys were over the fence and in the back field, they made their way over to a large set of bushes out of sight of the houses. There was a hole in the ground in front of them, and Lorcan told John to go and look inside. Lorcan then slowly pulled out a wooden club and silently bent down towards the young boy in front of him. This is Red Rum, a podcast focusing on the true victims of crime. Episode 36. John Horgan. Just a reminder that we're taking the month of September off for regular episodes, but if you're a $6 Patreon, you'll get an exclusive full-length episode as normal in the first week of September. And for everyone else, we'll be back on the 1st of October. And now, on with the show. The case I'm going to tell you today is not really well known at all. For some reason, it was really underreported at the time. I don't really know why, but given the extreme nature of the murder and the fact that it happened in such a small, close-knit Irish town in the early 70s, all I can think is that maybe the townspeople and by extension the media of that small town just wanted to forget. That being said, because there is very little information on the case, I've gotten most of my information from a book called The Boy in the Attic by David Malone. I'll link it in the show notes in case you'd like to order it, but as always, please consider ordering from your local bookshop rather than Amazon if you can. All the other sources for this episode are also listed in the show notes. In 1964, a wedding ceremony between Terence and Anne Horgan took place, and a little under a year later, Anne gave birth to their first child, a little baby boy who they called John Joseph. It was a summer birth, being in August of 1965, and the highly religious family baptised John quickly in a joyful ceremony. With the birth of John, Terence and Anne moved to a larger house in Palmerstown, around five miles away from Dublin city. Palmerstown, like most Irish towns of the 1970s, was centred around its church, St Philomena's. The church held regular services for all and even had a Sunday school to cater for the younger churchgoers. Many of the youngsters would come with their families without fail every single Sunday, and a number of the younger boys were altar boys. The people of Palmerstown were a community, 
and both Terence and Anne got on very well with their neighbours and the other families on the rest of the street. Terence and Anne's semi-detached house was next door to the home of the Bales. Kenneth and Catherine had lived in their house with Catherine's mother Anne and father Richard for around five years when they decided to have a child of their own. Their first child was a little baby boy who they called Lorcan. Catherine soon fell pregnant again and gave birth to a girl, Anna, and soon after, another boy, a baby brother for Lorcan, who the couple named Declan. They went on to have two more children over the following few years, the first a girl called Moira Ethna, and their fourth child, another girl, who they called Katrina. The house was full and always busy, with nine of them all under one roof. By the time Lorcan was 16, he was being tutored by his father Kenneth in all of his school subjects. Kenneth had spent a number of weeks building a wooden shed at the end of the garden to the back of the house. He had set up a table and chairs and would bring each of his children in around the lead up to any exams. He would then tutor them until he felt satisfied with their progression. Meanwhile, little John Joseph went to a school a little further out of town called Mount Sackville School. It was private and, like many schools in that area in the 1970s, based mainly on religion. On the afternoon of the 14th of June 1973, John finished school and made his way home. His mother Anne told John he'd be going over to the house next door to be looked after while she went to visit Lorcan's mother, Anne, who was in recovery for her hysterectomy. John was only seven years old and wasn't allowed to stay home alone yet. Anne called John outside and picked him up. She kissed him goodbye and popped him over the small wall separating the two gardens. Lorcan's grandmother, also called Anne, brought out the family canary bird as she knew John liked to sit and watch the animal with curiosity. John's mother waved goodbye and made her way back through the house and went to the hospital. John was sitting in the back garden, watching and playing with the bird, when Lorcan, the eldest bale child at 16 years of age, came outside. He saw John sitting there and asked if he wanted to go and find rabbits in the field behind the house. The back field was the playground for all of the children in the area. They would meet there after school, trek through on a crisp spring morning and even build snowmen five feet high when the winter months hit. The youngsters would often spend every afternoon in the warmer months playing football or climbing the many trees and hedges throughout the field's expanse. At the very edge of the field, there were cattle sheds and stables which marked the end of where the children were allowed to play often called off-bounds by parents and children alike. Up to the cow sheds, the children could be seen or kept an eye on. They never played outside the front for fear of the busy road and all the cars. The children were warned about that from their parents and the young John Horgan wouldn't have wanted to play out front anyway. The back field was plenty big enough and it was open. But because of the many trees, 
There were areas that were less exposed and meant that if youngsters wanted to play hide-and-seek, or if Lorcan wanted to get away from his younger siblings, he could always find a hiding place somewhere in the field behind his house. After Lorcan had asked John if he wanted to search for rabbits in that back field, John agreed and jumped over the low fence towards the back of the garden. He was followed closely by Lorcan, who was carrying a sack rolled up in one of his hands. Once both boys were over the fence and in the back field, they made their way over to a large set of bushes out of sight of the house from where they'd come from. There was a hole in the ground in front of them, and Lorcan told John to go and look inside. Lorcan then slowly pulled out a wooden club, and without any hesitation, began to hit John as hard as he could on the head. Because of the severity of the force that Lorcan had hit John with, John fell to the floor and died quickly. He then pulled some rope out of his pockets that he had stuffed in earlier before he and John had left the garden and tied John's legs together and then his hands. He then placed the body into the sack he'd been carrying and tied the top with his school tie. He picked up the sack and pushed it over his shoulder as much as he could. He then made his way up to the house, but on his way, he noticed two young boys making their way back down towards Lorcan. He made the snap decision to hide John's body in a nearby bush until the boys had passed him. At one point, he thought the boys were going to come closer towards him, so he raised his two fingers in an insult to make sure that they'd continue their journey without coming too close. It worked. A few moments later, once Lorcan was sure that they'd gone, he dragged John's body out of the hedge and moved it to one that was more concealed, ensuring that there'd be no chance of anyone discovering it. He then made his way back to his house alone, went inside, got a rucksack, and returned to place John's body inside. After some difficulty, he did manage to position the rucksack with John's body inside, on his side. This meant he was able to make his way back home without having to worry too much about anyone questioning him. A rucksack was much less suspicious than dragging a sack. However, a neighbour of Lorcan's, a young boy called Colin, came across the teenager carrying this massive, extremely heavy rucksack as he passed him just a few moments later. Colin asked Lorcan what he was carrying, suggesting it was coal. Lorcan pretended that it was and then hurried, as much as he could, off towards the house. Once he arrived near to the back of his garden, two of his younger siblings came rushing over to him, curious as to what was in the rucksack. Lorcan made his excuses, convincing them it was firewood for the barbecue they were having sometime later. Satisfied with this answer, Lorcan's two younger siblings left him to it and carried on playing. Lorcan then went to the side of the house, pushed the rucksack into the rubbish bin area to conceal it, and headed inside. He made his way upstairs into his bedroom, first checking that no one was around. He had noticed his grandmother and brother in the kitchen, but had snuck upstairs quickly and quietly, so it was unlikely they'd even know he was home. He then opened up the wardrobe, 
pushed up through the trap doors to get into the loft space and made a clear space with his hands, ready for the next steps. Lorcan then took a match and lit a number of candles before heading back downstairs and carefully dragging the rucksack inside and upstairs. He was careful to be quiet so he didn't draw any of his family's attention to what he was doing. Once he'd managed to get John's body up into the hidden loft space, he checked to make sure that John was really dead. The fact he hadn't moved or made any kind of escape attempt or noise since he was hit in the back of the head should have made it clear to Lorcan, but he wanted to make sure, so he checked his heart. Once he was satisfied there was no sign of life in the young boy, Lorcan untied his legs and hands. He then took out a thick red rope from the other side of the loft space. He then used it to tie John's body to a wooden beam that held up part of the ceiling and ran all the way down to the floor. He had tied John's body in such a way that it appeared as a crucifix. He also placed two tarot cards facing upwards One was the devil, and the other, the lovers. On the floor, there was a large knife, some scissors, more candles, a plate holding some powder, and a container full of human excrement. There were also a number of books on display. Some revolved around investigation and murder, others on magic. After that, He headed out through the trapdoor, into his bedroom and out to the landing. He went downstairs and into the kitchen, where his grandmother was preparing tea. Lorcan helped himself to a cup, before his grandmother asked where John was. The last time she'd seen them both was when they had been heading out into the field behind the house. Lorcan dismissed her questions, simply stating that he didn't know. He said John must still be in the field somewhere behind the house. Lorcan's grandmother wasn't so sure and began to worry pretty quickly. She had been outside earlier and hadn't seen John. She quickly made her way out and scanned the back garden and the outside fields, but couldn't see him. It wasn't long before she realised that, with no sign of John anywhere nearby, she needed to do something else. She quickly called on all of the neighbours and people close by to help look for the young boy. Lorcan feigned worry and he himself joined the search party. He even helped gather up other young boys to help search for John. The search party was told of the last time John was seen, so started by searching the field out the back of the Bale household. They also went on to search the other fields that were close by as well as a nearby river. The search area was becoming larger and larger by the second. Every minute that they didn't find John where they thought he might be meant the search area expanded and the possibility of what may have happened to him became larger. Most people were, at worst, assuming John had got himself caught up in some kind of accident. Little did they know that, just moments after Lorcan had been a keen member of the search party, He had left to continue with his satanic ritual. The version of Black Mass usually involves some form of inverted Catholic Mass, usually mocking it and typically committed by satanic groups or individuals. 
Lorcan went upstairs and into the loft space where John's body was still hung, tied to the upright pillar. He relit the candles and then cut off John's clothes with a pair of scissors. He took a look around his room and at the dead boy in front of him. He'd been thinking about this for weeks, months even, and now it was done. Lorcan began to worry that someone from his family might be coming to look for him, so he quickly left the loft space, closed the trapdoor, and stayed put in his bedroom. He wasn't wrong. Moments later, Declan opened the door to the room he shared with Lorcan and told him John's father Terence was here and wanted to speak to him. It was no secret that the last person to see John had been Lorcan and Terence wanted to ask him some questions to try and figure out what might have happened. Lorcan told Terence that after he and John had gone down into the field, he had decided to study for his upcoming exams whilst in the fresh air. He said he'd gotten so engrossed in one of his books that when he looked up again, John was gone. Terence then asked Logan to lead him down to the spot that John had apparently disappeared from and the pair looked around. Nothing seemed out of place or suspicious and there was no evidence of where John might be. After that, members of the search party, including friends of Lorcan and John, carried on looking for John but, as the hours passed, no sign of him was found. A little before 10pm, Terence reported his son as missing to the local Irish police, the Garda. Officers arrived soon after with sniffer dogs in tow and began searching for John. Obviously, when officers arrived, they spoke to Lorcan about those final moments he shared with John, and Lorcan added that at one point he had looked up from his book and seen John in the distance, walking in the direction of the houses. Officers noticed that Lorcan appeared to be calm, but at points he could be a bit shifty and appeared nervous, as reported in The Boy in the Attic by David Malone. Lorcan was questioned again, and he was asked to show the exact spot he'd been in where he'd last glimpsed John walk away. Lorcan showed the officer, but he could immediately see the issue. From the spot Lorcan had picked out, the place he'd allegedly seen John couldn't actually be seen. The officer went straight to Kenneth, Lorcan's father, and asked him about his son. The two came to the conclusion that it could be Lorcan who was keeping information back from the officers and from John's father because he was worried he might get in trouble. They thought there may have been some kind of accident. They weren't bothered about Lorcan's statement in discrepancies at this point. They were more concerned with the fact that if John had been involved in some kind of accident, he may be hurt and every minute that went by without aiding him would be putting him in even more danger. The officer saw how uneasy Lorcan was acting and tried one last time to ask him where John was. With that question, something switched in Lorcan. Whether it was the fact that there were so many people involved and it had gotten bigger than he'd ever imagined, or whether he'd gotten to the point where he couldn't figure a way out, we'll never know. Lorcan turned to the officer and simply said that John was in the loft space. With that, Officers made their way upstairs and, with Lorcan's help, unlocked the bedroom door and then found the hidden loft space above his closet. 
One officer asked for another route into the loft space as the homemade trap door looked quite small, probably only large enough to fit a child or small teenager through. He was directed to the main opening out on the landing. He hoisted himself up and made his way into the loft space. What he found was chilling. John was tied in a crucifix position to the pillar at one side of the loft space. His head was being held upright with a wire from a light and his eyes were closed. The officer rushed over to John and checked to see if he was breathing. He checked his pulse but given that John was in rigour, it was clear he had been dead for some time. Soon after, the search was called off and John's body was removed for examination to determine cause of death which turned out to be blunt force trauma to the head. It was determined that he would have died very quickly, if not immediately, and wouldn't have had time to comprehend what was actually happening, nor would he have felt any pain. As the news reached the rest of the searchers and townspeople, everyone started questioning what had happened. They started wondering why John's body was in the bail household, and how had Lorcan known? Who exactly was this Lorcan boy, and how had this happened in their little, friendly town? Lorcan had attended a private school in Dublin city centre, and actually started three years later than most of his peers. This meant that he didn't fit in in the same way as most other students. He also liked to dress in a way that showed his rebelliousness from the norm. He often wore a black leather biker-style jacket and big chunky boots that would echo down the hallway. He also liked to smoke and occasionally would skip school. If his father ever found out, he knew he'd be in big trouble. But this was the 1970s and it was much easier to not show up at school and not be found out. By the time Lorcan was 15, he was beginning to push the boundaries even further and started to prank some of his classmates and even teachers. By 16, Lorcan progressed to criminal acts such as stealing bikes left locked at the side of the road and money from unsuspecting school employees. A few months before the murder, Lorcan had gone to his normal church, the same one as his neighbours, the Horgans, went to. After checking to make sure no one was around, he had snuck in and made his way to the side altar. Once inside, he had removed the crucifix which sat in the centre of the altar and turned it upside down so that it represented evil. We see this all the time nowadays and perhaps don't think so seriously on it, but in 1970s Ireland, it was extremely offensive and worrying. We only tend to see it with that strong a meaning nowadays in Hollywood blockbusters like The Amityville Horror, Rosemary's Baby, The Conjuring, The Devil Inside, films like that. And as well as turning the crucifix upside down, Lorcan had also stolen a silver communion chalice and holy Eucharist wafers, also known as representing the body of Christ. Lorcan's hobbies were beginning to get more and more reckless and it wasn't long before he crossed a line. Lorcan began hurting and then killing various kinds of animals, including rats, mice, dogs and cats. At some point before his 16th birthday, Lorcan had trapped and killed a number of rats and then he put them in a lime pit. 
After some time, he removed the skulls of what was left from the lime pit and placed them out on a flat surface. He then used a fishing line to string together nine of their skulls to make a kind of necklace that he would often wear and he took pleasure in telling people the story of how he came to own such a thing. He was proud of it. It soon came to light that the necklace was in place of a crucifix, an item essential to own as a Satanist. He was proud to worship Satan and is quoted by David Malone in The Boy in the Attic as talking about satanic worship with other adults, namely a high priest, where they would all perform rituals that included ritualistic sex. As well as this, Lorcan said that by worshipping Satan, he would be granted the power to pass all of his exams, something we know he was intensely worried about. None of these claims from Lorcan about the rituals performed by him and other people have ever been verified as being true and are most likely a figment of his imagination or maybe even an outward lie where he was fully aware of what he was saying, being untruthful. There had been one event, which was witnessed by one of his friends, where Lorcan had suggested and eventually organised a seance. He and his friend went up into his bedroom and they made their way through the secret trap doors and into the loft space. Once they were there, the two set their eyes on an area cleared of clutter and filled with a number of questionable items. The silver chalice Lorcan had previously stolen from his church was there, as well as a Ouija board. The pair sat on either side of the Ouija board and over the next hour, attempted to make contact with a young boy who had died recently. They did receive some kind of answer, through Lorcan, of course. Lorcan acted in a way that suggested to his friend that he was possessed. It wasn't long after that that Lorcan murdered John. On the morning of the murder, John's father Terence woke up early and went to 7.30am mass at Philomena's Roman Catholic Church. Before he left... He checked in on his seven-year-old son. Terence then said goodbye to his wife, who was already up, and left the family home. He didn't realise that would be the last time he would see his wife truly happy, nor that it would be the last time he would see his son alive. Anne continued with her day and made breakfast for seven-year-old John before getting him ready for school. Meanwhile, On the other side of the wall of the semi-detached house in Hollyville, Lorcan had started the day much like any other. He had woken up and made his way downstairs. His mother Catherine wasn't around because, after advice from her doctor, and on the knowledge that she and Kenneth wouldn't be having any more children, Catherine had just had a hysterectomy and was in recovery. That meant Lorcan's father Kenneth was in charge. He had woken up and made breakfast for all four of the children and then prepared them to leave for school. That day was important for Kenneth. He had really been helping Lorcan over the previous few days and weeks. He would be sitting his exams, one of which was geography, Lorcan's weakest subject. He'd gone to school and sat the exam, but he knew he'd not done well. Feeling sorry for himself and unsure what he would say to his father to explain it, he made his way home in a sulk. He boarded the bus with a friend of his 
and sat quietly in the corner on the upper level. His friend tried to talk to him, making casual conversation, but Lorcan wasn't bothered. Towards the end of the journey, however, he turned to his friend and told him that he was going to be babysitting tonight. And that was the opportunity he needed to progress in the satanic world. He would use the alone time with the young boy he was supposed to be babysitting to kidnap and murder him. Lorcan's friend was used to ridiculous and bizarre claims from Lorcan and so dismissed what Lorcan had said completely. At that moment, Lorcan didn't say another word. He just got up out of his seat, pressed the stop button on the bus and then disappeared down the central bus steps and off of the bus, out of sight. Once Lorcan arrived at his front door, he unlocked it and walked inside. He pushed past his younger sister Anna, who he didn't really get on with, and went through to the kitchen. After the 16-year-old had made himself a coffee, he went upstairs into his bedroom. Once inside, he closed the door and walked towards his wardrobe. He placed his coffee cup on the side and opened the wardrobe. He looked at the clothes on display and took a few moments deciding what to do. After a few moments, he grabbed as many clothes as he could and pulled them off of their hangers and popped them on the bed. He then got into the wardrobe and reached his arms up as high as they would go. A large portion of the top of the wardrobe came loose and Lorcan pushed it up and climbed inside. There, he pulled on the second trapdoor and opened it up. He then climbed into the attic area. The trapdoors he'd walked through were his little secret and none of his family knew about them. Once inside, he lit a candle and held it out. In front of him were a number of items, including the stolen church items and a box of human excrement, as well as a silver chalice and a small child's bike. That bike belonged to John Joseph Horgan and had been stolen months earlier. At the other side of the loft space, on the floor, Lorcan had carved out a small hole in the floor. Peering through, he could see the family bathroom below. He would use this hole to spy on members of his family or anyone else who happened to come into the Bale household and use the bathroom. This area of secrecy, Lorcan's very own private space, was where he would later go on to store John's body. Once Lorcan started talking, it didn't take him long to tell them everything. As quoted in David Malone's book, Lorcan said, quote, I planned how I would do it, meaning how I would kill him and hide his body. I started getting things I needed to carry out my plan. I got the club, then I went down to the tool shed and I got a sack and as much rope as I could find. Unquote. The following morning, Lorcan's father Kenneth stayed home, uncharacteristically absent from work. News in the small town travelled fast, especially something as shocking as the events of the previous night, and newspapers had already started reporting on it that morning. The manager called a meeting and told everyone that Kenneth wouldn't be in. He added that a young boy had been killed and Kenneth's son somehow was involved. The next day, John's funeral was held with part of it at the Horgan family house. In attendance, as well as many, many friends and family members, 
was Lorcan's father Kenneth. He stood quietly in the corner, unsure of what to do and in utter disbelief at the events of the previous few days. At one point towards the end of the priest's speech, a sudden urge came over John's father Terence, and he walked quickly and with purpose across the room and towards Lorcan's father Kenneth. As he reached him, he opened up his arms and embraced Kenneth. It was a sign of peace, as prompted by the priest's words. Kenneth broke down in front of the room full of mourners. The fact that Lorcan had stolen John's bike months before the murder, along with the many items found in the loft space, showed clear premeditation for the crime. He was immediately arrested and charged with the crime of murder. There was little doubt in the officers' minds and Lorcan admitted what he'd done pretty quickly after being asked. He also agreed to create a reconstruction of the events that afternoon and evening and led officers to the spot he had lured John to before striking him on the head and killing him. It soon came to light that Lorcan had more than just John in mind to be his satanic offering. He had compiled a list of possible victims, which consisted of a number of young children who he knew or knew of from around the town. One of the potential victims was one of the boys who had stumbled across Lorcan carrying the rucksack with John's body in it on the day of the murder. There were over ten other children on the list, including John Joseph Horgan. Lorcan's case did go to trial, where, after being confirmed to be of sound mind and fit to stand trial, he pleaded guilty. He was sentenced to life. Whilst in prison, Lorcan got a hold of some black paint and spent some time perfecting a pentagram, the official symbol of the Church of Satan, on the floor of his cell. About a year into his prison sentence, Kenneth and Catherine Bale came to visit Lorcan in prison, The couple found it difficult to look at their son with anything other than confusion and hurt. Both Lorcan's family, the Bales, and John's family, the Horgans, moved out of Hollyville in Palmerstown soon after the murder and subsequent arrest. Just seven years after John Horgan's death, his murderer Lorcan Bale was released. This was due to his young age at the time of the murder It was obvious to him that he wouldn't actually be in prison for a whole life sentence. Soon after his release, Lorcan moved to London and settled there. There is some information available about Lorcan's life now, that he lives in London and has found God, but as this is John's story, I'm not really bothered about digging much further into Lorcan's life. If John was alive today, he would be 54 years old. He might be a high-flying businessman, or he might be living in a different country, or he might have stayed in Hollyville and raised a family of his own. Whilst Lorcan is living his life pretty normally, cleaning up the streets of some of London's richest boroughs, going home to his flat or house and creating memories of his own, John's memories and potential stopped on that chilly afternoon in June of 1973 and his family have since had to deal with the utter devastation and heartbreak that come with burying your seven-year-old son. (music) 
with many thanks to Quiver for her help with the pronunciations for this episode. Red Rum is written and presented by Grace Cordell. It's produced by Russ Clark and Grace Cordell. Music and sound design by Russ Clark. Title music by Benjamin James.